Well, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome. Um, we are currently in a series in the Psalms, <clears throat> and this is week five, but it's actually part four, because the first week was an introduction, and we're talking about how powerful the poetry of the Psalms is, and just been really encouraged over the past few weeks, as I've been encouraging you to um, utilize the gifts and the skills that God has given and granted. And last week I was really encouraged because, as you know, Alvin, our sister, kind of shared a, a poem with us. This week I got bombarded. Well, maybe that's an overstatement. I don't know. But I'm um, really massively encouraged because I've got three people that are going to be sharing with us before we jump into the message. Amen. And the first person I'm going to call up is one guy and two girls. First person I'm calling is Depa. Bro, come and join me. Since you mentioned it, I wanted to, to write. And um, you challenged me last week. And um, so I think it was last Sunday I started writing something. Um, wanted to... to make it a bit better, but never really had time in the week, but, you know, we'll, we'll just deliver what, what I made. Um, yeah. Can we get, oh, can we get Psalm 1 on the, yeah, on the screen? Brother, I've got a few. Brother, you're going to do it off the top? No, no, no phone, no, no notes. <laughs> no, off memory, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not. <laughs> okay, here we go. Okay, so there's Psalm 1. Brother. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk astray. In the counsel of the wicked, nor in the sinner's way. But heeds what Second Peter chapter 3 verse 4 says. Understand that scoffers will come in the last days. Mm. Yahweh's law is ever his delight. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by streams of a lasting life. Seems of a part of his dreams. Jeez. In season bears fruit and his leaves do not fall. And the fruit he has made shall prosper for all. Not so with the wicked, for they are like chaff that the wind drives away like water to the raft. Baft, because I should have said raft. But the wicked will not stand when they face God's wrath. But the righteous will before him congregate because they trust in the lamb who did propitiate the weight of their sin. He crushed like a grape. So in the assembly we sing, Lord, how great. So there's two ways to live. Check if you get this. The first word is blessed. The last word is perish. Yo, brother. Yo. See, I, I, I didn't even preempt it by telling you that, like, he's an MC, isn't it? As, as you can evidently see. Um, but don't be, don't be discouraged, you know what I'm saying? If anything, be encouraged, especially if you're not used to kind of live performance or sharing in public. Um, know that he's been doing that for years. The man, the man, he committed it to memory in days. Wow, what a blessing. You see, that, that, that is the, 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 the gifts that, you know, so I heard someone say that when it comes, no, I'll actually, I mentioned this after the, the uh, other two, Sister Judith, come, let's go. Yes, my sister. All right. One foot and all that. Use this mic. I'm not going to rap it like Dapa because I'm not a rapper. 
Um, I shall just go straight into it. Um, walker, sitter, or stander with the transgressor. Sinner, scoffer, or blessed meditator. Which one are you? It's up to you to choose. Tree by the river, which yields plenty fruit, or dried up chaff, which doesn't have any root. Which one are you? It's up to you to choose. The wicked will not prosper, but the righteous will stand, for the Lord will separate with his winnowing pan. The goats on his left, the sheep's on his right. You better choose well, it's about to get tight. You thought you had made it, you thought you were in, but the congregation of the righteous does not bear sin. For the Lord knows those who are his, and he also knows their way. They are the trees planted by the riverbank as they rock and swing and sway. Not to the beat and the rhythm of Morgans down by the river, but to the sustaining and redeeming power of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Like the house built on concrete, the foundation goes deep. Apart from the vine, our fruit will deplete. But abide in, abide in the vine as obedient sheep, for it is only in him that we are complete. This type of tree can withstand the bitter storm and the meticulous pruning by the Lord. Forever green it remains, no withering foliage on its mane. No saw, no hammer can shatter its frame. For this work is of the gardener, the governor, the winnower, the nourisher of our souls. The tree formed for the master is the one he upholds. He causes us to prosper and plenty fruit will yield to nourish one another in our adjoining fields. This fruit-bearing character is working to reveal a godlike persona of our Savior, our Lord, our God, our shield. For God's word is like an aeroplane. It eventually must land. The chaff cannot, stand with, can, cannot withstand this, which is part of his plan. The wind blows it away like a house built on sand. The judgment he is bringing by his righteous right hand. So after hearing all of this, tell me, where do you fit? Where are you going to walk? Where are you going to sit? Or with whom you're going to stand in, this, in his divine plan? I pray you choose to take hold of his hand. Which one are you? It's up to you to choose. A tree by the river, which yields plenty fruit. Or dried up chaff like riffraff with no lasting root. Which one are you? It's up to you to choose. Wow. Thank you. My sister of 30 odd years, you know, 30 odd years I know Pastor Ephraim and Sister Judith. Thank you, sis. Don't bury that gift, you know, girl. Listen. And um, talking about the buckles, I'm going to now invite Kian, who's actually going to sing us a song. One, two, two. Um, bear with me, I wrote the song on Monday, so. I'm actually really nervous, I don't know why. Okay, <laughs> um, it's just called Someone. Like a tree Planted shall I be Like a tree Planted shall I be 
like a tree planted shall I be like a tree planted shall I be he says abide in me I will give you all you need put your trust in me yeah. I'll be all you need like a tree planted by streams like a tree planted by streams that keep running 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 I've been encouraged and I've been saying to those that have been responding that based on the fact that I've been encouraged, it seems like they've been encouraged and those that have shared, I'm hoping have left you feeling encouraged. And um, that was a summary, if you're joining us for the first time, that was a summary of what we talked about last week. And I made a commitment also to write something summarizing what I did the week before, but I flopped this week absolutely flopped so I wasn't able to do that so I'm gonna try and commit next week to doing last week and this week together um, I did have something else kind of prepared that I could do but since we already heard from a diverse um, number of individuals I feel like I don't really necessarily need to do anything is that cool oh amen that's cool all right amen. Huh? man said no man said no he wants to hear it uh, man said it's cool you brother you're kind of outnumbered Seems like the majority, you know, in the house of commons. All the yeas and all the, all the nays, the nays have it today. Bless it, Omarki. It's all right, I'm going to set for you still, bruv, don't worry. Um, so, um, this week, we are, if last week we were talking about a tree, this week we're now talking about the chaff, um, which is going to be tricky. Um... It'd be great to continue to talk about the positive elements that we see in this psalm. Um, but that wouldn't be faithful. That wouldn't be being faithful to the text. And it also wouldn't be being faithful to real life. Because real life definitely has its ups. 
but it also has its downs, right? Um, so we inevitably come to the difficult negative contrast that is presented in verse 4 to 6. And you heard it come out, especially in Daper's rap and in Judith's poem. Um, using the words of the text, particularly verse 4 to verse 6. Verse 1 to 3 talks mainly about the, the blessed, righteous person. Now that's key. That word in this psalm is key. It's a key word or phrase that pretty much unlocks the text. And I hope you'll agree with me by the time we get to the end. And verse 4 to 6 contrasts. It talks mainly about the wicked or the scoffer or the sinner, as you can see in verse 1. Another key phrase that provides clarity and help when we're looking at this psalm. Now, we've been in this psalm for like four weeks. And I think I said at the beginning, I don't know how long we're going to be here, but we're still here. And we possibly, probably will still be in Psalm 1 next week. And a part of the reason for that is we're supposed to be meditating on God's word, right? And what I've said is, I've suggested that you've joined me in my meditations of Psalm 1. And um, if you were going to church at Westminster Chapel, which is in Westminster, literally around the corner from where Calvary Chapel, Westminster, was originally planted back in the 90s, which is where we used to attend before we planted a church in 2003. Um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was the pastor at Westminster Chapel a number of years back. When he went through the book of Romans, I believe it took him seven years. No joke. Like He was literally doing sometimes not just a verse a week. Sometimes he would do one word a week <laughs> as he went through the book of Romans. So, um, <laughs> so, I mean, we've only got another three or four weeks left in the Psalm. So if I even spent, you know what I'm saying, nine weeks in Psalm 1, that's, that's nothing compared to, to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. So, <clears throat> hopefully... Um, you are being benefited as we continue to look at this psalm. So, the righteous person, verse 1 to 3. The sinner, verse 4 to 6. And so we have blessing on the one hand, and I'm saying, or perishing. We have the righteous on one hand, or the sinner. Okay? Who are they? And in one sense, how does this relate to you and me? Well, in week one, we said that this describes two ways to live, right? Two commitments, two journeys, two roads leading to two destinations. All you have to do is go back from the Psalms. You know, Psalms is kind of in the middle-ish of the Bible. All you've got to do is go back or go forward a few chapters and you begin to see that this is actually consistent with the rest of the Bible. There are only two ways to live. Now going backwards, if you like, think about the stories with regards to Adam and Eve. How many of you know they were presented with two ways to live, weren't they? Mm -hmm. Cain and Abel, particularly Cain, presented with two ways. He made a choice and he made a bad choice. Moses and Pharaoh, massive Old Testament characters. 
two ways to live. Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah <clears throat> had the option and chose one way. How about David and Goliath? How many of you know they represent two particular ways to live? Then you have symbols in the Old Testament. Sacrifice and cleansing. Mercy and judgment you have, as we've been seeing in Psalm 1, blessing and perishing. So in the Old Testament we see this issue of righteousness and sin, right? Two ways to live. Now you fast forward to the New Testament, right? Because that's all Old Testament. The New Testament helpfully puts things in much more specific terms. And it beautifully came out in Judith's poem. Before she read it, she was so nervous. She said to me about ten times, she's too nervous. She don't want to do it. <clears throat> and I said, sis, you have to do it. Because it complements and contributes to the, to the message. <clears throat> she, still felt, she still said she didn't feel like she, did, she wanted to do it. But in her poem, a number of the contrasts that I'm going to mention with regards to two ways to live came up. How many of you know there are two roads? One is broad and one is what? Narrow. How many of you know there are sheep and the goats? There's good seed, bad seed. How many of you know there's God and the devil? There is the lamb or the dragon, the serpent or the savior, kind of similar references. The, Bible, the New Testament talks about the wise and the foolish. It talks about the house on the rock or, as Judith said, on the concrete. And the house that's built on the sand. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. You're either going to experience condemnation or justification. It's life or death. Hot or cold, book of Revelation, light or dark, up or down, in or out, heaven or hell. Overwhelming joy or weeping and gnashing of teeth. How many of you know? Two ways to live, Old and New Testament. D, I wonder if you could just turn down my mic just a little bit, please. Just turn it down a little bit. Two ways to live. Now, that, this makes it sound like all a person needs to do is just choose. Like Judith said at the end of the poem, just choose one in it. I mean, it's not hard in the sense that, oh, there's too much choice. Like when you're buying trainers, right? It's only two choices, only two options. Some say, but even that's paralyzing sometimes, Pastor Rob. Yeah, I know. It's because we live in a culture where we're inundated. We're overwhelmed with choice. You know what I mean? You want to buy a car? <laughs> Which one are you going to buy? And even if you're going to buy a microwave. I went, in, I went in PC World, the other car is PC World the other day. So many microwaves, you know. So much choice. Surely it's just easy. Just let's make a decision between the two. But it's not, it's not as simple as that, see. And here's the problem. Everyone actually already has made a choice. At least initially. Right? So Psalm 58 says, verse 3, The wicked are estranged, right? Now, this, that's one category. The wicked are estranged from when? From the womb. He says, these go astray from birth, speaking lies, even twisted partial truths. I love the CEV. That's the amplified version I just gave you. But the CEV, if I can get it to come up, says, 
you have done wrong and lied from the day you were born. <laughs> no, just succinct and straight to the point. And how many of you know it's true? Like, we don't have to teach children how to sin. You have to teach them how to do that which is right. Like, which one of you, which one of you ate the last cookie in the, in the cookie jar? You see them sitting there. It weren't me. Alpha one, it weren't me. And there's only three of you in the house. Mum and the two kids. Yet there's one of them with crumbs all around their mouth. <laughs> you don't have to teach them to do that, right? They go astray from the wood. How about selfishness? Oh my gosh, wow. When a baby wants milk, absolutely no concern or feeling or care for her mummies. Like, it don't matter what time it is. Baby don't care if they woke you up an, like half an hour ago. I mean, when a baby wants that milk, completely, totally, and utterly selfish. No rationale, no reasoning. You know what I mean? You ever felt like that, mum? Though, especially mums who have had recently had babies, especially if it's your first one. All that talk about, oh, you know, it's going to be, you know, you, you sleepless nights, and you don't even think about that, like in the run, like especially before you get pregnant. But when you get pregnant, you know what I mean, and belly starts getting a little bit larger, becomes, get, starts to get uncomfortable, you can't wear the clothes that you want to wear, you know what I'm saying, when you, when you go to bed at night, you need five, like, six, five to ten pillows, and husband get kicked out the bed, he has to sleep on a sofa, and it's just uncomfortable. I can't remember the phrase that Bertram used to say, um, where's our sister, just, did she have the baby yet? Is it? What was the phrase, bro? the Nigerian phrase, bro? Yabiji, Yabiji, Yabiji. So, those of you that are Nigerian know the phrase. What does it mean again, bro? Help me. It's, I just know that it's when a woman is at that point where she just wants that. I just need to have this baby now. Right? What does it mean? Mother of twins. Oh, so it's like, uh-uh, you look like you're about to burst. Like you've got twins in there, right? Okay. Something like that. And, um, but I'm saying babies. Selfishness is an understatement. My point is, from the womb, you know, sinful. And then they get to the toddler stage, don't they? And um, you ever seen little toddlers fighting over toys? Like there's no convincing them that just share in it. Or just wait till the other child has finished playing with it. Then you can have it. They don't understand that. Just absolutely. And, and it's, it's envy. I want what they've got. And then they grow in it. So from babies to, to toddlers, then they get to teenagers. I don't think narcissism is an unfair identifier. Narcissistic. They don't want to do no chores. You know and I'm saying you've got the whole housework battle constantly. That sleep is the ultimate priority in life for a teenager. I, I, I stop short of saying the selfie is satanic. I just stop short. But... <laughs> It's, there's a psychotic issue with selfies, you know what I'm saying? That apparently, there's a new disease called selfieitis, <laughs> and it apparently went viral. It's not, it's not actually true, but maybe it's true. I don't know. Selfieitis. See, and my point is sinfulness, but it all began at the womb. I'm just ident identifying the trajectory, the sinful trajectory, right? Now, scripture goes on to further clarify our plight. Right? Isaiah 53 says, notice, 
It says, some of us like sheep have gone astray. Is that what it says? Black people have gone astray. Is that what it says? Some would want to say that, right? But that's not what it says. Men have gone astray. I don't say that. Men have said it's true. <laughs> How many of you know? All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, not some of us, everyone to his or her own way. And it's, you can always prove that quite simply by just saying, put your hand up if you're perfect. And I'm not expecting anyone to put their hand up if they got any sense, right? <laughs> and then when they do put their hand up, you say, oh, you just broke the ninth commandment, which is, you must not lie, right? <laughs> Isn't it? So, this is true. Romans chapter 3, verse 22 says, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short of God's perfect standard. And that's unequivocal, it's all of us. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2 actually goes on just a little bit more and helps us to understand just this problem and the extensiveness of it. It says, but your iniquities, your sins, right, the breaking of the commandments, have made a separation between you and your God. Se say separation for me. Just say separation. Separation between the sinner and God. So I'm trying to prove the point that we all start off as sinners. We all initially, originally are separated from God and are characterized and categorized as unrighteous or wicked. And that's what Psalm 1 is pretty much addressing, right? So we all start off as sinners. And it's funny, this wonderful promise of blessing only comes to the righteous. So, it only comes to the righteous, which we evidently are not. Therein lies our dilemma. And the question I ask is, how does a person on that basis then, who's evidently a sinner, become righteous in order to access the, be the, the benefit of the blessed. Now, we'll come back to this shortly. Now, all of that good stuff that we talked about in verse 1 to 3 is now in contrast with verse 4 to 6. The righteous are described as a tree in verse 3, and the sinner is, is described like chaff in verse 4. Verse 3 says, he, the, the blessed one, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. But verse 4, the wicked are not so. But they are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Now we said last week that the tree is solid. It's immovable. It's dependable. It's consistent. It's strong. It's... It's rooted. But the chaff is the opposite. Can you see the contrast? It's, chaff is light. 
It's fickle. It's flimsy. It's unrooted. It's unstable. Can you see the contrast? And to give a definition of the chaff, um, Dave Guzik says, he says, chaff is the light shell around the kernel of a grain. He says, which must be stripped away from the kernel of grain um, so that the grain can be ground into flour. They have to be separated. Chaff was light enough that it could be separated from the grain by throwing a scoopful into the wind and letting the wind drive away the chaff. This is how unstable, how lacking in substance the ungodly are. Can you see the contrast? Here's a picture of someone win winnowing. Again, Judith mentioned it. It's where they have the, the wheat that they've obviously cut and they stick the winnowing fork in and then they throw the wheat up, obviously connected with the chaff. And what happens is when they throw it up in the air, the wind comes along and because the chaff is light, it just takes the chaff and the wheat just falls to the ground. They call this where the winnowing takes place, the, sh the threshing floor. Now listen to Matthew interpret Psalm 1 with great clarity that hopefully we find helpful. Matthew says, um, starting in verse 1, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And here's what he said. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan were going out to him. Verse 5 and 6. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan doing what? Confessing their sins. Now remember, we're all sinners. And here are a group who understand and recognize that. Especially in light of John's preaching. And they come confessing these sins that they've committed. Verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the scribes coming for baptism, he said to them, Yo, you brood of snakes. You know, it's vipers, you know. He's calling them that because they're reflecting the character of the ultimate snake. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from notice the wrath that is to come? Verse 8, bear fruit. Be like the tree, right? In keeping with repentance. Then verse 10, even now, says John, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but... He who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Verse 12, which is the big punchline. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff... But the chaff, he will burn with unquenchable fire. Can you see that there are two categories? And can you see that John is referencing Psalm 1? 
speaking about the judgment that is to come for sin in verse 5. So, looking at the correlation <clears throat> or the correlating judgment in verse 5 of Psalm 1, he says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. And then this concludes with a horrific sentence of perpetual perishing at the end of verse 6. Now, a few quick contrasting comparisons. Like I said, trees are solid, but chaff is light. The blessed person prospers, we heard last week, right? Um, and in contrast, it doesn't seem like the wicked are going to prosper, especially when you get to end of verse 6. But when you, look at, when you look at life sometimes, you do look and see, wait, wait a minute. The righteous don't look like they're prospering. And that's why we said last week, you've got to think long term. It looks, if anything, like the wicked are prospering. I mean, that was the beef in Psalm 73. Lord, and I'm saying, why do the wicked seem to prosper? <laughs> Short term, bro. Long term, it's another issue. Right? Now, here's another contrasting comparison. Look again at verse 5. Therefore, the wicked will not what? Stand. That's interesting. We heard that come up a little bit earlier. The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Do you remember that? Do you remember that which the righteous wouldn't do in verse 1? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Look at the contrast regarding the wicked, reflecting the opposite in verse 5. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Why? Because they previously stood in the way of sinners. Verse 1. Nor will sinners sit, if you like, in the congregation. Like, we're a congregation, right? Everybody's sitting. Nor will sinners sit in the congregation, if you like, of the righteous. Why? Because they previously chose to sit, verse 1, in the seat of scoffers. The wicked, they don't end up being blessed. Why? Because they choose another way. Verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Can you see that? Now remember, this is poetry. And sometimes you get through a couple of lines, and you really don't get the punchline until you get to the end. And we ain't got time to go into it now, but there are about four different types of poetic form just in Psalm 1. You've got parallelisms. You know, most of Hebrew poetry don't rhyme. Like the way we do poetry, more often than not, especially in, in songs, is the first line rhymes with the second line, the third line rhymes with the fourth line. Or you might get the first line rhyme with the third line, and then you get the second line rhyme with the fourth, fourth line, right? That's what we know as poetry. Hebrew poetry ain't like that. It's the thought that rhymes. As I said, we ain't really got time to get into this. This could be another week looking at poetry, just explaining it and looking through the Psalms. <laughs> May do that. I don't know. We'll see if we get time. But can you see how this reference of standing relates all the way back in verse 5, relates all the way back to verse 1? 
trying to help us as we enjoy at least the artistic method that's being used by the writers of the Psalms, especially as they use this to, they employ these methods to drive home the point. So verse 6, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. They choose another way. How many of you know two ways to live? Question, which way are you going? Right? Where are you walking, standing, sitting? Because how many of you know? Wherever you're currently walking, standing, sitting, is where you eventually will end up walking, standing, and sitting. And as much as these try to convince themselves, and even others, they can't notice, they can't pull the wool over God's eyes. Verse 6, for the Lord knows. <laughs> you know what I mean? He knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. He knows. <clears throat> okay, to conclude. The Lord evidently knows the way of the righteous. Do you? You know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, I understand now, boy, that we're all sinners. Yeah, you proved it right from the, from the not even a cradle, right from the, the womb. I mean, baby's kicking the womb. <laughs> like, what are you kicking me for? From the womb, right? We're all sinners. Hopefully, that's quite categoric. <clears throat> and the Lord knows that. Do we know that? Are we convinced of that? And <clears throat> on top of knowing that, that is, wow, I'm a, I remember in 1989 where that became real to me. That's the year that I got saved. Or should I say the year that God saved me? Because it wasn't because I was smart and shrewd and I thought, you know what, this makes a lot of sense. Let, let me choose this. No. Actually, God pursued me. You know what I'm saying? Chased me down. Felt like UFC, like I had his hand up my, up my back and I had to tap out, you know what I mean? Because I realized the road that I was on. And God graciously saved me, even though I didn't deserve it, by his grace, because I'm a sinner and I deserve to perish. If you know anything about the price that was paid for those of us who come to terms with that, I mean, Jesus literally had to die in order to bring about that salvation that Bertram mentioned earlier. So the Lord knows, and he knows the way, do you? You know what I'm saying? And then if you get to that point where you say, you know what, I hear you, you know, like, that actually makes sense to me. I realize that I'm a sinner and... The next question that comes on the back of that is, <clears throat> now that's bad news. The good news is there's opportunity for you to transition. Mentioned it in week two, that chaff can actually become a tree. And notice how diametrically opposed, how completely and utterly distinct they are. In order for one to become the other would take nothing less than a miracle. Because chaff ain't a tree. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And this transition from becoming, from being chaff to becoming a tree, and, 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 and it needs to happen because if the chaff don't change and become a tree, you know where the chaff's going to end up? 
in the fire, right? The chaff needs to become a tree in order to enjoy that wonderful fruit that we talked about last week. So how do we change our status? Well, to put it mildly, we need a miracle. And this is what the Lord Jesus was talking about in John chapter 3 when he says, if the issue started at birth, how many of you know the resolve has to do with the birth? And Jesus says in John chapter 3, you need a new birth. Jesus said, you must, you must be born again. And John says, um, John, Nicodemus says, Lord, how can a person climb back into their mother's womb and be born again? He wasn't talking literally. He was talking spiritually. You must be born again. Someone said, if you're born, if you're born once, you die twice. If you're born naturally, you die physically, and then you end up dying spiritually. But if in this life you're born twice, you only die once because you're born naturally and then you have a spiritual birth. You're born again. You only got one death that you're going to face and that's physical death. And when you understand the contrast between physical death and spiritual death, you take, you take physical death. Any, any. That's why Paul's like, you know what? For me, to, to, for me to live is Christ. For me to die physically is gain. Because... I've had a second birth, which means I'm only going to have to die once. Does that make sense? You must be born again. Your f- why? Your first, bir- your first birth was a mess. <laughs> Hence, you're going astray from the womb. It's spiritual gynecology, right? That's why it was... was, was she's, not, she's not here today. Amen. That's why in week two we said there was need for transformation, radical transformation, where sinners can be made righteous. Where the wicked in verse six can become the righteous in verse six. Whereas instead of perishing in verse six, they can become the blessed in verse one. Romans chapter five. This is quite phenomenal. If it can come on the screen. There we go. Romans 5 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died, not for the righteous, because none of us are righteous, right? He died for who? The ungodly. In, in Timothy, it says, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That means if you're a sinner, you qualify. If you ain't a sinner, then Sorry. This good news ain't for you. Jesus' death on the cross can't purchase anything for you. But if you're a sinner, you qualify. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Meaning, I mean, if you find someone that's righteous, I mean, are you prepared to lay your life down for them? Even though they're righteous, you'd be like, boy, I know they're a good person and that, but boy, right? Scarcely. Though perhaps for a good person, one may possibly, you might be able to find someone who would be willing to lay down their life, right? And even to die. But verse 8, but God shows his, this shows how much God loves us. For in that while we were still sinners, he was prepared to die. Now that's amazing. That's amazing love. 
Verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified, which is a technical term that relates to righteousness. If you're righteous, it's because you've been justified. They pretty much mean the same thing. And justified, if, to help you remember, means just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. It means to be made righteous. And it's not something we do for ourselves. Only God can do it for us. And it comes by virtue of this new birth. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, speaking of Jesus, much more shall we be saved by him, oh, from the wrath of God, which is what Dapa rapped about. The wrath of God. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, you know, we were reconciled to God. Remember, separated. Now, he says, for if while we were enemies and separated, we now have been reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Verse 11, more, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. No longer separated. Remember Adam and Eve? They sinned. They were cast out the garden, separated. But now we've been reconciled back to God. See, this is the way. You know, we don't know what the way is. This is the way. This is the way for the sinner to be made righteous, to be blessed, to be redeemed, to be rescued, to be reconciled, which stands in stark contrast to the sinner. <clears throat> stands in stark contrast to the way that leads to becoming chaff. That leads to perishing. Did you know at least four times in the book of Acts. <clears throat> Christianity is referred to as the way. Well won't you join us. On that journey. I'm going to invite the team to come as I pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father. We want to thank you so much for this good news. This is good news for us who are sinners. Wonderful news for, for those of us that understand that we are sinners and are willing to admit it. Lord, this is good news. This was good news to me in 1989 in St. Mark's Church in Kennerton. This was good news to me Lord God I knew that I was a sinner but boy I didn't realize that the penalty was so harsh and then when I realized that Jesus oh so that's the reason that's the whole reason why this old story about Jesus the son of God going to the cross and dying that's why he went there to pay the price for my sin And I got it. Father, I got it. By your grace, you opened my eyes to see. But previously I was blind. And I was a wretch. And you saved a sinner like me. Father, thank you that 1989 is not, is, is not the vintage year. Like the only year where you're saving people. You're still saving. By your mighty hand we sang earlier. And... <clears throat> By virtue of that salvation, you've given us the opportunity to transition 
from being chaff to becoming a tree. From being wicked to being blessed. To being someone who scorned you. To being someone who now embraces you with joy and with gratitude. And all that through the new birth. For being born again by your spirit and your word. Father, thank you for Psalm 1 and how it articulates. Thank you, Father, for Psalm 1 and how it relates. Imagine a three and a half thousand year old document in a quote unquote dusty old book. Relates so powerfully, not just to today to the future because Lord God you don't change you're the same yesterday today and forever Um, for your goodness communicated through this good news communicated through the death of Christ we thank you in, in his name in Jesus name Amen Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.